In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Oh, it's great you're here. If I just speak like this, can you hear me okay at the back there? That's good, I don't really need a microphone. Um, my name, yeah, I'm a loud person. Not as loud as you, Alex, but loud. <laughs> um, my name is James. I'm on the staff here. It is great that you're here, especially if this is your first day on campus. Um, it's great to have you with us, and we hope um, at the Uni Bible Group you'll stick along, you'll keep growing in understanding and knowledge of God. That's who we're talking about, and of the Lord Jesus, as we'll see in a minute. <clears throat> Now, the other thing I was going to say is, if I start sniffling and coughing, um, it's not COVID. Right? Uh, someone was just stirring up dust in the household this morning, and so it's caused me to be a bit sniffly. Um, so don't panic. Don't say I shouldn't be here. It'll be fine. Okay, prayed. Let's begin. A number of years ago, uh, I think probably about 15 years ago now, I came across a website as I was preparing this passage. And um, a website of someone who would say they are not a believer in God or of Jesus or anything like that. And they said, if I were God, everyone would know exactly who I was. They would know exactly who I am. And it was just a bit of a sarcastic dig at religion in general. But the sentiment is real. How could you possibly know which is the truth? What is the truth? How could you know? I've been fortunate enough to travel different places around the world. And last year, just before COVID struck, thank you, thankfully, I was in India with my mother and my sister. 
And of course, India is very religious. Many temples, churches and mosques littered all over the place. The words contained in the Hindu scriptures, they're called the Vedas and the Upanishads. These are very ancient texts claiming to be supernaturally inspired. A billion people worship the gods of Hinduism. A billion. How would you know if they are true? How could you know? What about the sutras of the Buddha himself? He claimed to have enlightenment, didn't he? Perhaps he had some supernatural insight that shows us the way into understanding ourselves, the world and the cosmos. Buddhism has affected most of Southeast Asia and the philosophy is pouring into mainstream media. It's there subtly. It never says I'm Buddhism, but it's there. You can see it. How would you know if that's true? And when I was in India, do you know, I discovered that it had the world's largest Muslim population. 200 million plus Muslims in India alone. That's unbelievable. Of course, the Quran claims to be a recitation by Muhammad of the angel Gabriel, who brought God's word of guidance to mankind. Is that how we ought to know God? How could you really know? How would you know? There's a three massive world religions, aren't they? All claiming to know God, but all saying very different things. If there was a God, how could you know the real one? If you're if you're an atheist, it doesn't matter, doesn't it? Or there is no God. But if there was a God, how could you know the real one? And it's also important, I think, for Christians too. If you're from a perhaps an Orthodox or a Catholic background, you might have been taught that there are other ways you can know God or experience God. Perhaps through the church traditions or teachings, or in many uh, aspects of those churches, human tradition, human philosophy, uh, or human reason helps you to know him. And, and through reason, some would try to prove the very existence of God. If you're from a charismatic background or Pentecostal, uh, experience is heavy, isn't it, on how we know God? It could be prophecy or some other experience. But again, how could you be sure that you could really know God, whom their teachings are quite different? The experiences are quite different. How could you know these questions have huge implications. If there is a God, you see, if there is a creator, well, then there's purpose, there's direction, there's meaning, isn't it? There would actually be a better purpose to study or to work than what the world tells us. Better than the millions of voices that we hear on social media feeds. Huge question. Can I know God? It's huge. It affects everything. Well, in the passage we just read, there's an extraordinary claim at the end. Take a look at verse 18. It says, no one has ever seen God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. The opening verses of this book are like an overture. You know what an overture is, right, at the beginning of a concert? It's like a big burst of the main tune that's going to run through the whole thing. Um, and that's what's going on in these first 18 verses. And verse 18 is like the finishing note to the book. Look at verse 18 again. There's a negative. No one has ever seen God. And there's the positive. The one and only who is at the father's side has made him known. The sense is that God has been truly and finally revealed. In other words, you don't need to look further than this. 
if you're a believer in modern science and the truth is only predicated on observation, well, of course, you might have trouble believing in a God because God is unseen. But this is the thing. This is what John is saying. The unseen has been seen. He can be known. Now, if I was to ask you where you think I was born, would you be able to tell me? Anyone? Uh, where I was born. Do you know? Have I told you before? You have. Good. Excellent. Well, the African knows because I was actually born in Lagos in Nigeria. Amazing, isn't it? Right? Now, you wouldn't have known that, would you, <laughs> by looking at me? Or maybe the words coming out of mouth. You would have no idea I was born on Victoria Island in Lagos. St. Nicholas's Hospital. And you know that now. You know that now because I told you. I've actually made it known to you. We only know the truth about God because he has made it known. We're not dealing with man-made religion. When you come here and you hear these words, you're not dealing with man-made religion. You're dealing with God-given revelation. And he's made it known, he says, through the one only there, or the only begotten as some translations have. God is made known through a someone, a person who is as close to God as anyone could get, someone who is very qualified to make known the truth about God. Imagine the resume of someone like that. Imagine the CV of someone like that in making God known. Who is this one and only, it says? Well, it's the same person in verse 14 as verse 17. He is, of course, talking about Jesus Christ. But he doesn't start using that name, Jesus, until verse 17. He starts using this idea of the word in verse 1. And that's where we're going from verse 1 onwards. The word is key to understanding why God can be known. So take a look. Look at verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He's saying the word was not made. In other words, this word, God's Son, existed from all eternity. Date of birth of God the Son, not applicable. He was always there. His very nature is God. And when we encounter this word, when we encounter Jesus Christ, we encounter God. And that's the first point today. The word makes God known because he is God and maker. Of all things. You see in verse 3, take a look. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. He was there with his father, creating the world, the universe, or multiverses, if that's your thing. I don't know anyone doing astronomy here, whatever. Yeah, no, good. If that's your thing, well, maths. No, no one doing maths? Okay. Physics, chemistry, he made the lot. He rules the lot. And you see throughout John's gospel, in the signs that he does, as we'll see in two weeks' time, he turns water into wine. You think, why is that impressive? Well, wait and see. He heals a man born blind. He feeds thousands of people with a packed lunch. And actually, he raises a guy called Lazarus from the dead. He has power over death and life itself. All signs that he is the creator and all things are under him. And, and for you, every breath you take 
is given by him. Every hair on your head is numbered. Life is a gift. Marriage, sex, good things are given by him to enjoy. Life should be lived in thankfulness for his generosity because he's the creator. This word. It's not just physical life he gives. It's actually real life. Verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not grasped it. What do you reckon real living is? I don't know if I've asked you real living. Any answers? What's that? Yeah, okay, yeah, good, yeah. Character, yeah, good, yeah. What's real living? What does the world think real living is? Experience. That's really key, isn't it? Uh, Monopoly, the latest version of Monopoly. It's not about which properties you buy. It's about the experiences you have. So you gain the number of experiences. That's our generation. It's called Monopoly Monopoly Millennials, I think. Interesting. Okay? Good job you're not millennials, isn't it? Um, you're the Generation Z. Well, it could be adrenaline junkies. I often watch, I want to watch these guys throw themselves off cliffs and wonder why. Booty tours, time with mates, watching or playing sport. Apparently, surfing is quite No, I'm from England. <laughs> when, are you, when are you most alive? That's the question. When, when, what is real life to you? Life for John, it's going to be important throughout the gospel, is more than living and breathing. It's living life in relationship with God. It's knowing God. Jesus tells us, this is eternal life, that they know you, only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. See, eternal life means knowing God. It actually means relating to God in the way he wants Forever. That's why it's eternal. It means living in relationship. Knowing is more than just knowing about. It's knowing relationally. And it's not life just about life now. It's actually about life that runs into all eternity. Eternal, eternal life, if you are a Christian, starts now. It's now. If we know God through Jesus. And you receive that life trusting Jesus in his word. Because in 1668, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And I wonder if that is why John starts saying, in the beginning was the Word. And he calls him the Word. Why? Because Jesus' words don't just explain what God is like or who God is. Jesus and his words have life and give life. You can know God through him. Do you know how important it is to know Jesus and his word? The Uni Bible Group Visit, I'm sure you might have heard this already, is to proclaim Jesus Christ at universities presented all maturing him. And everyone goes, well, isn't that a bit narrow? Couldn't you do a bit more? Uh, why, why aren't you doing other things? No. Life is found in the words of Jesus as we find them in the scriptures. That's why we're the Uni Bible Group. Second point, the word makes God known as he shines the light of life in the darkness. Because the assumption is the world does not have life. 
It's in darkness. And darkness for John, the metaphor for a world that doesn't want to know or believe in God. It wants nothing to do with God's son. It's a world with no connection to our creator or ruler. Now imagine for a moment that uh, there's a football, there's football players running around on a pitch at night, but there's no lights on. There's a ball and there's players and they're sort of kicking around aimlessly in the dark. Or someone standing on a street corner scrolling with their phone, but it's turned off. Ludicrous. And that's what we're like without God. We're directionless because we've decided we want to live without God. We are rebels against him. We are under judgment. We are facing eternal condemnation, says Jesus. That's the darkness. There's a period, you might learn, I don't know, I think they're going off this, but there was a period in the 17 and 1800s called the Enlightenment. Anyone ever heard of that? If you've done history, you have heard that. Yes, the history, the good arts, good, that's good. Um, (laughs) It was a search for the knowledge of truth, wasn't it? How could you know anything? That's what the Enlightenment was really all about. And people like Locke and Hume and Kant came to the conclusions that you can't see it, if you, if you can't reason it, well, you can't know it. There's no such thing as that knowledge. So there's an unseen knowledge and a seen knowledge. God is not a basis for knowledge in their eyes, and so it led to humanism, where we can progress without God in our world. But it's interesting, it's not really the Enlightenment, is it? Because the Bible says it's the darkenment, it's the endarkenment, that's where we end up. That's why actually we're in the world we are now, in the West especially. And what we see are the consequences of a prodigal world which has set aside God and said no. Environment, corporate greed, all the things we rebel against, mental health crisis, this is the darkness on display. Perhaps you haven't heard that before, perhaps you've always just followed what everyone else is saying, that we're basically good people. We're all right. We say things are getting better. Aren't we clever? We say education has made us better. Really? Now, the Bible says, turn our back on the light and we're in darkness. Those in the darkness are under his judgment. But look at verse nine. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming in the world. Yeah, had the experience of waking up from a really bad nightmare. It was great relief. Or perhaps you're lying in bed at night and you can't sleep and you hear them knocking somewhere and you're wondering what it is until the dawn rises and all of a sudden, oh, relief. Well, that's, that's the picture, isn't it? The light shines in the darkness. If you know what the terrors of the darkness are, light's going to be a relief. Jesus comes offering us life, salvation from sin and death. He offers us life in right relationship with our creator. Have you seen the light? But here's the shock. When God's light shines, further darkness. Verse 10. Take a look. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Verse 11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Perhaps you were part of a wonderful conversation last week at Owen. Perhaps you got to know about us then. It's so encouraging that so many people wanted to chat. But how many will actually receive the life he offers? We hope many. 
but many will not because we love the darkness. We love ourselves rather than God. Think about it, what happens when you shine a light on a cockroach? They run. They scurry. And actually when sin is exposed in us, when our evil deeds, when our rejection of God is exposed, we hide. And when God showed himself, we showed contempt. That's our natural self when God comes. We don't want to know. But look, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Astonishing. We can become children of God. We can become children of light, children of the creator. We can escape the darkness for the light. How? Rebirth. Starting afresh. New life in receiving God's son. You see that there? People who are born of God. And that's the third point. The God, the word makes God known as father for born again receivers. I don't know, many of you probably are Christians, right? And may have uh, been brought up in Christian families. Perhaps you feel as though you're here because you kind of think that's the right thing to do. Or perhaps my parents told me to. We've had many people over the last however many 11 years I've been here who have become along to Unity Bible Group, which is a great thing because their parents want them to. Perhaps you went to a Christian school, perhaps not. And you think perhaps you know it all. None of these things makes you God's child. No, he actually says you need new life. You actually need to receive Jesus as Christ, as Lord. A life that is committed to Jesus and his word. That is that you? So wouldn't it be wonderful, actually, if you're a believer or not, that as we start the year, there can be purpose. There can be meaning. We can know where we come from and where we're going. We can be reconnected with the creator. We can make a fresh start. Accept Jesus as Lord of life. If you're a Christian, well, keep receiving Christ as Lord, just as you started. Growing in the knowledge of God. Because, like me, there's still plenty of darkness in, in our hearts. They still need God's word to penetrate those inner recesses, isn't it? Keep growing in understanding of what it means for Jesus to be Lord. The Lord of life. And we know he's Lord because of what John says next. Take a look at verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is no Harry Potter or the Lord of the Rings. This is no fantasy. Although I, I did grow up in a school pretty much like Hogwarts and uh, experienced much of what Hogwarts had to offer, apart from the magic. Christian claims are founded on historical reality of eyewitnesses. No, just sort of made up thing. He became one of us. God actually came and lived amongst us. He identified with us, the man, Jesus Christ. In the word makes God known as his becomes human and his glory theme. And John the writer, he's one of the witnesses. 
Verse 21, chapter 21, 24, right at the end of the letter, after everything has been said, he says, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. We're not dealing with speculation. We have seen his glory, they say. The unseen is now seen. Glory is like his splendor or his brilliance, because this is what they see, this glory, his brilliance. His brilliance is actually tied to his grace and truth. It says that in there in verse 14. Next animation. There we go. Grace and truth. Good. That is what his character is like. His glory is tied with his character. The witnesses have seen what God is like. And in the Gospel of John, his signs, that is, his miracles, show what his glory is like. Right? So you've got to see through the gospel, there's all these signs, and you'll see that one in two weeks' time. But the sign which shows who God really is, the sign which shows his grace and truth beyond all others, is as Jesus is lifted up. You'll see that. As Jesus is lifted up on the cross uh, to do his Father's work, to save us from sin. There is his glory. Because there his grace and truth is on full display. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And as he finishes his father's work, Jesus is lifted up to be with God the Father. So we're back where we started in verse 18. Take a look. Did you notice? He says he is at the Father's side. Did you get that? He was at the Father's side. He was coming into the world, but now he is at the Father's side. He completes the work of the Father. He returns to where he's come from to be with his Father in glory. And look at this amazing diagram, right? This is my presentation skills on display. This is as good as it gets. This is the shape of the Gospel of John. This is how God makes himself known. The unseen God is now seen. And that sort of yellow stuff is glory, by the way. It's been seen, um, it's been seen as who he really is. His character is on display. You see, friends, we can know God. It's uh, not through religion. It's not through our clever intellect. It's funny, we have some Christians who say, well, um, it's so intellectually unsatisfying just having the Bible. Uh, well, it's not through our experience either. It's through God's son, Jesus. We can't claim ignorance anymore. We can't say God is unseen because God has come up close and personal. And you want evidence for God? Well, check out Jesus. In fact, as Christians, if you are a believer, this is great source of comfort for us. Because this is the foundation on why we believe and who we believe in. And we hope as you dig and we dig into John's gospel this year, you'll join us and find great joy as you find life, salvation in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God who indeed is unseen, but has been seen. And yet you've made yourself known. We praise you that we are not scrambling about in the dark that we're not lost 
and try and find out what you're like, but that you've come and shown us in your Son. And we pray that as we seek to proclaim Christ, that our lives will know him, we will know him, and seek to be transformed into his glory, into what we're really like as we know him and as we know you as the Father. What a privilege, what a joy. Help us this year, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now I'm going to invite up uh, Jade and she will be continue um, praying for us. Hi, I'm Jade. Should I hold this or am I loud enough? Okay, cool. Um, I'm Jade. I'm a second year environmental science student um, and I'm going to lead us in prayer today. So um, prayer is pretty much just talking to God. So if you agree with what I say, um, just give a hearty amen at the end. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to come before you in prayer. You are so great and powerful, Lord, and we pray that you would not let us forget that you have created and are above all things, great and small. We thank you for the time of rest over the Christmas break, and we ask that you would continue to renew and refresh us, refresh us each day as we come back to uni for 2021. We also thank you so much that we were able to meet together in this way in campus um, and the blessing that it is to be surrounded by others when many people around the world are still facing severe restrictions. Thank you, Lord, for the work of Uni Bible Group last week, facilitating walk-up, um, managing the stall, running uni starters and everything else that happened behind the scenes. Lord, we pray for those students that we were able to meet at O-Week. We pray that you would work in them and fill them with so much curiosity and conviction that they would consider Christ as their saviour. Please help us to be good and faithful carriers of your gospel to those around us. God, as this semester begins, we pray that times of prayer and Bible reading in groups or one-to-ones would be rich times of fellowship and exploration of your word. Pray for events such as Onboard, that they would be opportunities for encouraging first years as well as learning and maturing in you. We also pray for all the staff and leadership teams, that they would be able to serve Uni Bible Group well this year, and that you would be able to give them freedom to work and leisure to rest. And finally, God, thank you that despite our sin, you loved us enough in your mercy to send Jesus to die, so that the price of our sin would be paid. We thank you that despite you being unseen, you have revealed yourself to us in him, and through your word. Thank you so much for Jesus. And it is in his, in his holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.